A prophet. A prophet is someone who is right and who is right and early and is usually only recognized as a prophet in retrospect, after the fact. You'll find prophets among teachers and parents, presidents and clergy, bankers and mechanics. Prophets these days tend not to be religious because so many religious people of just about any faith are so invested in trying to make sure that nothing changes, uh, that, that the traditions and the practices of the faith are maintained. Now, Ezekiel was unusual in this respect, as were, in fact, all of the Old Testament prophets of Israel that we remember. They were unusual because they were early and they were right. Ezekiel was taken into captivity in Babylon with the first deportation under the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II. This was in 597 for history buffs. And he was, they were, the, the leading people of the country were taken away and expected to intermarry and live elsewhere. Uh, Ezekiel was 25 years old when that happened. Five years later, when he's 30, he gets his call from God that we're hearing about in this morning's reading. And he starts prophesying to a rebellious people, just as Jeremiah was doing in Jerusalem at the same time, saying, God is going to destroy the temple. God is going to do something absolutely unthinkable because you are not remembering the widow and the orphan. You are not acting for whether you're in exile or at home. You're not remembering God's love for you and God's care for those in need. And he was right. And ten years after the deportation, five years after he began prophesying, the temple was destroyed. Neither Ezekiel nor Jeremiah were beloved in their time. But Jerusalem was finally sacked by the Babylonians, and the people did not rush to thank him for his wisdom and his insight. Same story with Jesus. People in his own town took offense at him. He was just different. He dared to be different. And those who might claim to know him best found him, found him what? Found him arrogant? Found him standoffish? Said he was presumptuous? When you stop to think about it, all these kinds of judgments say more about the judge than the judged. All such judgments saying Jesus doesn't quite fit in are saying he declines to be like us. He declines to be one of the gang. It's as though he doesn't have good manners or good grammar. He's just not quite the way we want him to be. We are all, every one of us, subject to a powerful drive toward conformity. That's the reality. And people we perceive as outsiders or renegades are easy targets for anything from suspicion to blame. In fact, if we don't conform, we're likely to be rejected. And no one likes that feeling. None of us like the reality of being rejected. Well, Jesus turns all this around, turns it on his head when he sends the 12 out two by two. He sends them out to travel light and he said if they were rejected, they would turn the question back on those who would reject them. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Here's how this works among us. You decide that you're going to make a change, any change, in some habit of yours. Your mother is driving you crazy, and you decide you're going to limit your calls and conversation to once a week. You decide you're going to try being a vegetarian. 
You've read all the magazines and books. You know you'll never really take exercise unless you place it as the most important thing in your schedule. With me so far? Good. Here's what actually happens. <laughs> your mother is driving you crazy, and you decide to limit your calls and conversation to once a week. Your mother complains to your sister that you never call. Your sister passes it on to you, telling you're selfish, and mum just wants a little attention. You hold your ground, and mum gets sick. What do you do? You decide that you're going to try being a vegetarian. Your wife says, that's nice, honey, but then tends to forget about that and invites people over for hamburgers. You spend the evening trying to make do with baked beans and slices of tomato while resenting having to justify your decision to your carnivorous friends. You wonder if it's really worth it, and of course you wonder if your commitment really has to include foregoing bacon. How long... <laughs> how long do you last? I mean, really, it's just... The chances of, of making this change are thin. You've read the magazines and the books. You know you'll never really exercise until you place the most, the most important thing in your schedule. You decide you're going to ex exercise after work every afternoon, and within days you've been asked to take a late, late appointment. Your husband needs you to pick up the children because he has to go out of town. You're not going to be able to get the workout in as well as get to the dry cleaners before they close. Plan B, the mornings. Use your imagination. You know. <laughs> You know where this is going. The systems of your life, the people you love, same thing for the prophets, the people you love, things that have a prior claim on you, or think they do, conspire, or so it would seem, to sabotage your good intentions. It's just like the prophets. They didn't get thanked. They had to somehow stay clear while everything around them conspired to make them less sure, less clear. What Jesus did with his disciples is ask them, in effect, to be confident in who they are and what they're doing, to go out with authority, to preach repentance. He wants them to act in the assurance they are beloved of God and that that love is the source of their power. More than conformity, more than belonging. He says that rather than feeling rejected and seeking to be loved and conforming, they should leave those who cannot or will not hear them behind for now and keep doing what they're called to do. Now, this is easier said than done, of course. Sounds easy when I'm having fun in a sermon imagining these possibilities. But staying clear through the reactivity in the systems of our lives is no easy matter when we're told you're being selfish, you're being inconsiderate, you're not thinking of others, you're thinking only of yourself. This kind of rejection is hard to take because at some level we think they might be right. This kind of rejection is what Jesus got in his hometown. He could do few acts of power in the face of it. But his advice to his disciples is really important about staying clear. He tells them, in effect, to get playful. The business, think about this business of shaking the dust off your feet. It's an old Middle Eastern expression that was never taken literally, as best scholars can tell. But Jesus is saying something sort of light. You know, imagine actually shaking the dust off. It's sort of absurd. He didn't say, if they refuse to listen to you, gesticulate in a particularly unattractive fashion with one of your digits. <laughs> or, if any place will not welcome you, escalate the disagreement and then sue for discrimination. He didn't ask his disciples to get really serious in the face of people not hearing them. He asked them to move on without getting too bent out of shape. Imagine these bearers of the word actually shaking their legs as if to get the dust off their feet. A prophet or anyone who decides that change is necessary must have the capacity 
to withstand the resistance to his or her message, to that change that you want to make in your life. Ancient prophets, you see, were not only understood as bearing a message, a word, they were thought to embody it in some way. So their actions brought about what they were prophesying. When Jeremiah broke a pot and said, this is what God's going to do to Israel, they understood that it was actually going to happen because Jeremiah broke the pot. It wasn't just an example. There's a sense in which it was understood, bring all prophecy, if you like, is self-fulfilling. We have to, when we decide to make a change, develop a new habit or practice, respond to life in some way that is new for us, we must, in a sense, be the change. And we've got to somehow carry ourselves without anxiety through that until the system has adjusted to this new reality. And one way to ensure that happens is to have fun in the face of resistance. Mother, you've hurt your finger. I'd better move in and take care of you for the rest of your life. (laughs) Hamburgers again? I could eat a horse. The children are going to love that five-mile walk to school with me every day. They're going to be so fit. If they won't welcome you, shake the dust off. They'll know what that means. In a brief time of prayer, imagine what changes you'd like to make as we move into the fall. What might be different this year? Ask God to help you have fun. Wait for it. Fun and profit. Never mind. Not a bad way to go. Lighten up in response to the gospel. And in silence, let us pray.